0: This is Guideposts with Dr. Tim Stoffer, a podcast where Tim and his friends engage in purposeful conversation about identity, parenting, culture, faith, and more. Tim Stoffer is a professor of counseling and a licensed clinical counselor. My name is Sam Myung, and I'm Tim's friend. My life has been greatly enriched by my time talking to Tim and getting his thoughts on many matters that impact my life daily. After listening to this podcast, I hope you'll feel the same. Guideposts are discernment markers. They provide opportunities for direction as well as warnings of pitfalls. Go this way and be careful of that way. We hope that each episode provides some sense of direction as we navigate the challenges of daily life. Thanks so much for listening. Quick disclaimer, the content of this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your licensed mental health provider. Good morning, Tim. Hey, good morning, Sam. All right, so this morning, Tim, we're going to continue our conversation from our last episode. So this is a part two, so if you haven't listened to the first one, it's probably going to be of great benefit to you that you do. In the first one, we were talking about the three protests of the soul. We're starting to talk about emotions and particularly painful ones. We talked about uh, fear Uh, Sadness and anger. Um, But Tim, you're convinced that our emotions are a gift of God, even including these painful ones, um, and that they're necessary for being able to experience life in the fullest sense, in the fullest way we were were meant to.
1: Right. I think about a negative emotion or painful emotion as a necessary element of navigating a broken world. Right. It's like we want to be able to express pain because something actually hurts. And so we know of diseases like leprosy where the loss of feeling, physical feeling actually leads to catastrophic outcomes. If you can't feel pain and you put your hand on a hot stove and don't know it's there, you do incalculable harm in the same way. Emotionally, if we're in pain and we have no mechanism by which to feel it or which to express it, we do incalculable harm
0: and I think often maybe this is just me but I interact with someone who is just always happy all the time I don't trust them Mm -hmm. because that doesn't that doesn't map with the same experience that I do that there is pain there is real things that causes sadness and grief and and whatever the person who's constantly putting up this happy facade all the time I naturally don't trust because there's something that feels fake about that because it doesn't actually seem accurate to the experience of life.
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that it brings back an old memory from when I one of my first jobs I worked in a in a hardware store when I was a teenager and a young adult and one of my colleagues had this perpetual Hey, how are you doing? Oh, praise the Lord. It's like life is just fantastic always it's like that was the right. that was just the default and and you're right it's like hey, that's not i like your term it's it's not mapping with what reality actually shows and and while we can be joyful in all circumstances or while we can experience um, gratitude and joy even within the midst of suffering we still have to be able to acknowledge the pain that we're feeling
0: yeah yeah so today, um, would really like us to talk about how do we express emotions healthily. Um, you have shared with me that you kind of have categorized this with you know four what you call four categories of intervention. Um, let's talk about that. Sure.
1: Well, I think like I want to think like a Venn diagram of overlapping overlapping circles, and you can think about. Um, each of these four dimensions, I call them four dimensions of human experience um, or of what it means to be human, and they all overlap with each other. So it's they're not clear-cut distinctions, but it's helpful to see them all as their own unique category um, for the sake of, of conceptualizing what we might do. Right, and so we can think in terms of physical, and the physical category or the circle um, is, is really about our biology. It's, it's about our, our blood and our sinews and our neurons and our brains. And it's the, it's our body. And we have, uh, we have to attend to, to our body because anxiety as an example, often lives within the body itself. Same with depression, same with other mental um, health issues like bipolar or schizophrenia. It's like you have this organic brain disease that has to be treated to address symptoms. And so we always want to be paying attention to, to the physical aspects of life. So if someone has thyroid issues, it's like their mood will be tied direct is tied directly to um the function of the thyroid. So if you have if your thyroid isn't functioning properly, you may feel very depressed and it might have very little to do with the other dimensions of life. It's just that your body um, is struggling with something. And so the physical, biological is the one circle. Um, the next one we can think about is psychology um, or the psychological here we're talking about the, what I would call the mind, the will, the emotions. It It's the, um, it's the internal processes of cognition. Like how do we think about things? Uh, and the, it's like everything within the world of psychology, um, fits within this circle. And so when we think about interventions or how we express emotion, we can think in terms of, of mind, will, emotion, how do we. Um, how can we find healthy ways of of being psychologically healthy? Uh, the third area um, is the relational or the social circle. It's this space of, of interaction within our environment. So we can think about our physical body and our psychology as uniquely ours. When we get into the social or relational circle, it's like now... These, this, the us is embedded within a larger system, a larger ecology of of other people, of interaction. And if we are not relationally healthy, we we it will produce painful emotion. And so, many anyone who um, is in any kind of friendship or relationship or marriage. Um, or family understands that the social dimension has a strong impact on our emotional experiences in life. A lot of our pain in life comes, um, from the relational categories. And then, th- and fourthly, um, is what is, um, this, what I would call the spiritual dimension. Uh, and I'm not talking about just Christian. Like I know I, I, I'm a Christian. I follow, I follow Jesus in my in my life Uh, but I'm talking about something bigger than just Christian faith I'm talking about how do we understand our meaning and purpose in life what what how do we make sense of the core questions of existence the philosophical and the religious often are in this kind of space Uh, why does this matter Um, is nihilism better or worse than any kind of other way of organizing our thinking. It's like, this is a, a place of deep, um, a, the deep grass down into why am I here? Who am I really? Right. Uh, and so our emotion and our painful emotion um, can have impact in that, can be impacted by that space as well. Sure. And so, so if we think of all those four areas as overlapping, when we talk about, okay, what can we do with our emotion, we can think in terms of, you know what, there are physical behaviors we could engage in with our body. We could do something. Well, that's going to overlap with some psychology. It might overlap socially. It might overlap spiritually. And and so there's this space in the middle where it's not like it's a clean, this is a physical intervention, this is a spiritual one, this is a psychological one. they are usually almost always overlapping with one another and and so if I'm really feeling um, if I'm really feeling inadequate, I may go for a walk and go down to the bike trail and listen to some music and go for a walk. Well, what am I doing? Well, I'm engaging physically. I'm also engaging um, spiritually because I'm able to, I'm able to pray. I'm able to to think. I'm able to um, process um, how I'm making sense of life. But it's also psychological, and if I do it with a friend, it's also social. And so, hmm. so almost all of our, almost all of the things that we do with emotion or to help us deal with painful emotion, may have overlap within each of these four categories. Personally, I find it helpful to think in terms of what is it that I'm really needing right now? Do, do I need? Is it my thinking that really needs to be challenged? Well, that's a psychological process. And I might tap into my spiritual life. I might tap into my relational life to help me with my psychological process. And so our conversations are um, help us. Because we're enabled to engage our thinking together, so it's like we can bring our psychology, um, we can bring our social um, relationship, we can bring our shared faith and our spirituality to bear. And the very fact that we're sitting here talking, we're engaging our bodies in the in the process. So all of these things work together in a in a meaningful way. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it does. I actually was uh, when you're talking in the overlappingness of these things, I was thinking of actually of a, of a Charles Spurgeon quote where he says, a mouthful of sea air or a stiff walk in the wind's face would not give grace to the soul, but it would yield oxygen to the body, which is next best. So like his recognition that, you know, oxygen from my body is helps me. It's good for me, you know? And, and I think if I'm remembering correctly, this quote is in the midst of, especially if you're experiencing, you know, spiritual you know blandness or darkness and you know depression or something like that he's you know anyway i think that's a cool quote of this overlapping thing
1: that's that's beautiful yeah so let me tell you a little story about um about emotion and how learning to express emotion um is meaningful um in our last in the previous episode, I, I talked a little bit about my experience of coming to terms with emotion in grad school and um, yeah. and being like, okay, God, teach me to feel around the entirety of of this wheel of emotion. I want. I am confident that emotion is this gift from God, but I have some work to do, and I, I want to grow. Uh, so early in my experience with this, I um, I came across this concept called a feeling exercise and it's in essence where you say something along the lines of I feel blank and you insert an emotional word um and I like I like that as a starting point because it's it's taking one it's taking ownership of what I feel it's my feeling it's not it's not you make me feel angry or you make me feel inadequate it's that I feel fill in the blanks let's say I feel inadequate and then I go on to describe the circumstances that are eliciting that emotion, and that's a powerful um, way of using language to take ownership of what we feel. I don't want to. I don't want to give you my emotional world. I don't want to give my emotional. I don't want to give control of my emotional world to others. It's mine. It's my emotion, and I'm responsible for it. It's, it's mine, the way I think, the way I interpret life experiences. Those are the kinds of things that are producing the emotion that I have. It's not that you have the power to just reach in and make me feel what I feel. Sure. And so, so when we use terms like I feel, we want to use that in contrast to you made me feel or that person made me feel or this circumstance made me feel X. It's like, no, I feel those things, but here's the context around which this feeling has emerged. And I'm going to take ownership of all of my components of, of that because it's my life as a whole that's producing the emotion, not the circumstance itself. And that's why we can often have different emotional responses to similar things. Like, like you can think about it in on the road. It's like somebody can cut you off when you're driving. And one day, you just keep whistling the tune, you're listening to your radio, and you don't give a rip. It's like, yep, he's driving like an idiot, and I hope nobody dies, but I'm gonna go about my day. It doesn't impact me at all. Other days, the idiot cuts me off on the road, and it's my it's my moral and ethical responsibility to teach him a lesson, right It's like i gotta I have to. And all of a sudden, I'm agitated and I'm angry and I'm and I'm accelerating and I'm now I am becoming the very thing that I would say is ticking me off. Well, what's going on with that? It's not the circumstance; it's that the way I am interpreting things right now. Whatever is going on internally is is producing the emotion that I'm feeling. The driver on the road is just simply the context from which that is emerged. Yeah. And and so depending on how What's going on internally for me is going to re- make a difference in how I feel.
0: What, what do you, what is a good way of identifying the situation that's eliciting the emotion? So what, what's a, cause I think oftentimes you just, you know, I get angry, but I'm like, why did I get so angry? You know, today, whereas normally I don't. So what's a good question to ask to help identify why today? Sure, that's a that's a good question. Um,
1: I would say that that in many regards, I think that just grows out of our ability to name what we feel, and our ability to name what we're feeling will unlock that understanding of of the trajectory across time, like of what it is. It's like my ability to say. Um, me use something other than adequate. Let's just say I'm feeling discouraged and I can say, man, I feel discouraged, but my ability to name my discouragement will likely give me insight into how this feeling has come about. If I don't know how to name it, I won't be paying attention to any of the contextual clues that would, that would lead me to understand that it is discouragement that I'm feeling because many people might feel discouraged and then they just go home and kick the cat or yell at their kids. And it's, they don't understand what they're feeling. They just think their kids did something or the cat did something. And it's like the, the the kids didn't do anything wrong. They're just playing with their toys like normal. And there's, there's toys on the floor when I get home, no matter what, what is it about today? Well, if I am able to identify that I feel discouraged I will be automatically connecting that discouragement to what's eliciting it. So if I was at work and I lost a contract and I'm like, dang, that's gonna really hurt my performance review. Or you know what, I'm not gonna make my, I'm not gonna make my quotas for this month and that's gonna cost me in my bonus check and I was counting on that. And man, I feel like a failure well, if I'm not aware of any of that process internally, and I'm just pissed and I'm angry, and I come home and I'm I'm grumpy, I probably won't understand why. But if I'm able to name it, it will almost automatically be opening up the, all the context clues, the awareness in in the process. So I so I'm not certain about. there's like a something that you do per se. I would say the starting point is learn to name what you feel, identify it properly and identify it precisely and, and find the feeling word that really gets at what it is that, that you're experiencing. Uh, So back to this story, when I started this kind of feeling exercise, I, um, I said to my wife, to my wife and I talked about it and and we said, well, we're going to start a tradition. When we go to bed every night, we're going to start asking this particular question of what you, how are you feeling or what did you feel today? And we're going to follow this kind of script of I feel blank and then describe what happened. And I remember asking LaRonda one night, how are you feeling today? And she said, you know what? I, I, I feel or I felt really successful today. And I said, well, what, what was it that led to that kind of feeling? She said, well, um, the kids listened to me. Um, better than they sometimes do. And I said, oh, cool. And, and so then this next step in feeling exercise is I remember first feeling this emotion when, and then recall the earliest memory of that particular emotion that you have. So in this story, uh, my wife is saying, I felt successful because the kids listen to me better than they normally do. And... And I said, well, tell me, what. when do you first remember feeling an emotion like that? Like, what was the earliest story? And what this does is it begins to build continuity across time with our emotional world. We can begin to see that what I feel today has a history. Like, I have other experiences of these kinds of feelings. And we can do this with the positive emotion, like feeling successful. We could also do it with the painful emotions of life. If I'm feeling inadequate and I say, when's your earliest memory of feeling inadequate? And I say, you know what? man? when I was seven, I remember, I remember getting a bad grade from a teacher and the teacher really pushing me hard and, and was not very gracious with me. And, and I just remember feeling like I, I suck and I don't, it's like that. Now I have a, a like a, a thread that goes back across my life. And I can begin to see that my emotional world um, has continuity and has connections across time. So I asked my wife, I feel successful. I said, when did you first feel that? And she said, Oh, I was, I was a young girl. And I remember, I remember feeling successful when I sold a pail of wild blueberries to my neighbor for 20 bucks. And all of a sudden I'm like, Hmm, I don't know anything about wild blueberries. My wife grew up in, rural Canada, way up in the North. And the closest thing I have is a little kid's book that I remember called blueberries for Sal where there she's out picking blueberries and a bear comes along. And, um, that's the only <laughs> picture. I, I don't know anything about how blueberries grow and I know they're good because I've eaten them, but I don't know anything about them. And so I said, well, tell me about picking wild blueberries. And that led to maybe a 20 minute conversation about one of her favorite childhood memories. And it was meaningful. I learned something about her and her life. And that's one of the, what I would say is the positive, one of the positive benefits of having healthy emotional connection is I connected, we connected in that moment emotionally. And what it did was it led to a meaningful conversation about something important. Is it life changing? Is it like, is it super significant? Well, not in its, not technically, but is it significant relationally? Absolutely. It's massive. It's like that's precisely what we want in relationships. We want people to connect with us. We want people to, to connect with what we feel and the context of what we feel and how this how it connects to the, our experiences in the world and in our life. And so if I can connect with her feeling successful, I now have connected from this moment in time the whole way back to her childhood memory. And now I get to experience and be, in essence, present across this time frame. It's like, it's like I am a meaningfully connected person that now I understand something more deeply about this person. We all want that from our significant others. We want that from our friends. We want that from our intimate partners. We want that from the people who love us. And this is why emotional health is so critical. It's like we, we want to build um, emotional, that kind of emotional connection. Now we also want to be able to do that with the painful emotion. And that's where it gets a bit more challenging because we have to actually engage pain then. Yeah. And pain hurts me and I'd rather not do that. So t- so tell me what you're thinking that yeah, no. was a, that was kind of a soapbox long <clears throat> monologue.
0: No, the, the that's a fascinating idea that in connecting and especially in in sharing stories you are present across a time frame. It's like you weren't actually there when she was picking blueberries. But for you to connect with her now in the present moment and in the emotions that elicit the same feelings, you somehow are present now and you're connected together through that. That's mm-hmm. that's a that's a pretty cool thought.
1: It, it is a deep concept because it's, it's like um, we are we are now engaging meaningfully and I uh, I am honoring her life. I am honoring what's important in her life. Yeah. And so if it was, if it was a painful memory, so, so let's say someone is dealing with some severe abuse that they've experienced as a child. If I can, if I can emotionally connect with the pain, if I can emotionally connect with the the growth from that if i can emotionally connect with what that's like across time that person's going to feel connected to and is going to feel safer and is going to feel a sense of i can count on you there's this this depth and richness within both painful connections
0: as well as the positive ones um and that that helps cuz tim keller talks about like pretty much like two of the biggest needs people experience are the need to be known and the need to be loved. Mm -hmm. And, but for that to actually happen, you have to be fully known, like Mm -hmm. the good and the bad. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you have to be loved and accepted in the midst of all of that. And I, what you're just describing right here is that process. It's the I want to know all of you, Mm -hmm. the positive emotions, the positive experiences, but also the negative emotions and the negative experiences. And this, the question of, um, when's the first time you ever experienced this? That's probably going to be a really hard one for people to think of, um, but I can imagine would be so fruitful, both individually and relationally, to be able to you know, how long had had you and your wife been married before you heard that blueberry story?
1: Probably about 10, 12 years.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so that's that's just, uh, I don't know, significant to know that there are still many aspects of my wife that I don't know, but I can still know, yeah. um, and, you know, vice right. versa.
1: Right, and I think that's like relationally or in in marriage. It's like... We we begin to get so caught up in the the what I would call the trivial maybe not trivial isn't the right word I don't mean trivial as an unimportant uh, mundane maybe is a better word the the mundane aspects of life of gotta wash the dishes and do the laundry we gotta get off to work we gotta pay the bills and in the middle of all that we lose touch with the the deeper sense of what's this mean to the other person. And we come to think that we already kind of know everything about the other person. There's nothing new to discover. And the way relationships can continue to thrive and grow is when we have a, a constant sense there's something about you that is undiscovered. And I'm interested. I'm curious. I would like to know. And that's what, what courting and dating often produce is this, this like supercharged interest of you're attractive to me. Yeah, and I want to know you, and so nothing is boring. I, I, you can you can talk about your your favorite ice cream. You can talk about <laughs> what's your favorite color. I want to listen. I'm all ears. Tell me about whatever you want to talk about. Right. Just being in your presence is enough for me. Yeah, and and so, but then marriage comes, and the mundaneness of life kicks in,
0: and the the struggles. How was work today? Same um, old same. And, and How so, were the kids? Same old same. You
1: got it. And and so if we want to if we want to enrich relationally, we're going to have to be build emotional connection. Now we're not going to be able to keep the what I would call the euphoric experiences of dating alive forever. It's like attempts to do that, and you you're going to be disappointed because. There is a habituation that occurs within any kind of relationship where where we have to come to terms with that. But the depth of meaning and meaningfulness can continue indefinitely sure. where we're continually discovering something. And understanding the emotional world of the other person is critical. Now, what often happens in relationships and why we sometimes truncate our emotions or we stuff them is that is that we actually are feeling pain um from the person themselves so so it's like my wife has hurt me across our 24 years of marriage i have hurt her and so there are times when i might be feeling something and it's connected to a memory of oh this memory is you is like, <laughs> it's like, it's okay. not just building continuity across time. It's like, it's also that, you know what? I remember being hurt by you in 2002 and this is 20, this is 20, 20 years ago. It's like, so the continuities, it, it's like, okay, that, uh, that means there's unfinished business across time and we need to learn the art of resolving those conflicts, um, f- having a, a good process for, for what I would call repair and forgiveness. And for a sense that I'm not, I'm not going to allow the continuity across time to build in such a way that all the emotion across time comes out in every single episode of life today. And that's where many people get stuck. It's like, Oh, you're, you're today we're upset at each other because, Pick the parenting struggle, pick the chore, pick whatever it is that's causing the marital conflict. And it's like, oh, we're not just fighting about this thing. We're fighting about all this conflict across time. And that often that's when we hire a professional to help us untangle that. Sure. But it's um, but it's critical uh, for us to be able to express emotion and connect it um, back through our lives.
0: That's great. That's great. So this exercise, you know, so first naming the emotion you're feeling like I feel fill in the blank. Um, This is where that emotion wheel becomes so helpful, especially if you are struggling to identify what that emotion is. Pull out the emotion wheel, look at it and say, okay, this is the word that I feel like I'm resonating with most accurately right now. That can help help you figure out what is eliciting the emotion, right you know being able to identify, "Oh, I did not get much sleep last night, and I am tired, and so this is why I feel agitated today or this morning, you know right um, or whatever that is um, and then the other the other element was the to ask the question, "When was the first time you felt this emotion um, helping you to mm-hmm. So, yeah,
1: I'd say we're building, we want to build continuity across time. So, so like, don't, you don't want to become legalistic about the first time you felt it. It's like, that's not the point, but, but we do want to stretch back across time and and say, okay, what's an early memory of that particular emotion? It might not be the first one. It doesn't, it doesn't really, it doesn't matter. It's like, well, let's go back as far as we can. Let's find, let's find other examples in life where I have felt this emotion and it does not mean it has to be similar in the what's eliciting it. Sure. And many people that becomes because that becomes the, a mental block almost. In of the like,
0: story you used, it was selling a pail of blueberries, and it was having kids listen to it. So they're not the same, right? Um, what's what's the like? What is the? I guess the benefit of identifying the the continuity across time for that emotion does that just help you become more aware of your emotions is that is that what it's like you're piecing together oh i have experienced this emotion and here's the times i have and it helps you moving forward to become more aware of what that emotion is is that right. the that's a point? that's a
1: it's a great question i would um i would put it in what i call one of the one of the points of my compass so when i think about what are the principles that guide me as I think about clinically helping people? Um, one of the things that I have on my website is that as what I call them, the points of my counseling compass is that we must have a healthy anchor to our past and a clear vision for our future in order for our present to make sense. So many people minimize the past and say, I don't want to talk about the past. The past is the past. It's not the, the problem with that is that if the past is unimportant, that means that relationships are worthless because the only, the only reason my relationship with you matters is because it has a history. And if the past is unimportant, then, and the past doesn't matter, well, then there is no such thing as meaningful relationship. And precisely that's what actually happens. If you ignore, if you ignore the past or you just, you just quadrant it off and be like, I'm not going to engage the past. The present won't make any sense. The future will be very cloudy. Your relationships will be in disarray because your past is critical for relationship. So when people say things like, like, you know what? It's in the past. We're not going to rehash anything from the past. That's just that it is what it is. It's like well,
0: it just doesn't make sense because you carry all of those things with you. The, it's, it's how it's who you are. It's how you become the person you are. It's because of the experiences you had in the relationships you have built. Like, yeah, that right. makes and, sense. And
1: we we can see it in its most I would say it's most painful and brutal space when you listen to um, a person describe their parent with dementia. Huh. It's like. They just took away their past. The dementia just stole away everything. And it's like now I have this body in front of me, this person in front of me that has no ability to connect with me, to know who I am. There's no past. Because and so nothing
0: makes sense. At nothing makes sense. They, and
1: now yeah. it's like what happens to that relationship? The person that's, that doesn't have dementia is suffering incalculably because it's like the past is what gives meaning and it's what gives a sense of orientation. And so, so understanding our emotional world is saying, it doesn't mean that we're stuck in our past. It doesn't mean that we're, that all we're going to do is just turn around and ignore reality and ignore the present and ignore the future to just wallow in the past. Like that's, that's its own kind of pathology of its own. It's like, that's not what, what I'm advocating, but the idea that we can somehow just etch a sketch away what's been done to us and what we have done and what we have felt and what we have experienced as though we can just ignore it all is a fundamental error of it. It's, it doesn't work with real life and it will truncate any possibility of good, healthy relationships. Does that answer the question of Uh, of why having continuity across time matters?
0: Yes, I think so. And especially, um, and I think especially for the painful emotions. I'm sure it's probably important for, you know, positive ones as well. But I think especially for the painful emotions that you keep experiencing, but you're not sure why you keep experiencing. I have. I, a su- I have a sense that understanding the past in the way you have experienced that will really help you understand why you're experiencing it now. Right. What are the things that are bringing it about? Um,
1: right. And and we shouldn't make the assumption that because we're building continuity to the past as though we will continue in the present to feel everything as, with the same amount of pain as we have When it occurred. So, so people who having endured trauma or maybe grappling with PTSD, it's like, we don't want to, we can't ignore the trauma and processing the trauma and doing the work is often emotionally excruciating and painful, Mm. but it brings about, um, brings a corrective to the emotional space, the processing of it allows me to move from post-traumatic stress disorder to post-traumatic growth. And so we aren't losing touch with our trauma. It's just that now our trauma is taking on a different, a different impact. It's like, I'm not, it's not disordering me anymore. I'm actually have growth from it. And you know what I'm able to do today, something I could have never done before because Of the healing and the growth that I've had and, and, but we maintain the continuity across time and many people try hard to just box it off, box it off, box it off. And then they wonder why is our relationship, why is my relationship a mess? Why, why can't I have depth of connection? And it's like, well, you just closed yourself off emotionally.
0: That makes, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense.
1: So where does that leave us, Sam? Like, does that? Um, yeah. Is there additional questions? So
0: that yeah. So you wanted to ask? That's a that's a helpful exercise. Um, that's a helpful exercise. We you know you're listing those four categories of intervention: physical, psychological, social, spiritual. Um, Maybe is there? Would you? Would this be a thing? Could you give me a couple, couple bullets in each of those categories of? um here are some things you could do or here are some identifiers of like, hey yeah, this might be a little off in in each of those categories and here's how you could maybe readjust them. Does that make sense? So like sure like the physical one, you said like go for a walk like the, mm-hmm. it is good for the body to have o- oxygen mm-hmm. and exercise, you know mm-hmm. especially when you're talking about it's a we have biology, we have brain, we have neurons, you know we have Uh, chemicals like dopamine that our body naturally produces that helps us feel good and when you're not exercising you're not experiencing those things and so it makes sense that if you only watch tv and you sit on the couch and you know or and then you 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 um interact in behaviors that like our phones that create dopamine but in a really unhealthy way i'm not incredibly knowledgeable of how that works, but I know that it's a real thing and like addiction to technology and pornography are very linked to the chemistry in our brain. Um, so I don't know. Doesn't my question make sense? Yes, it,
1: it, it sure does. So, so
0: those four categories, maybe some helpful things to here's some things you can make sure you're kind of doing to remain emotionally healthy in those categories.
1: Right. So let's think in terms of, um, of the physical first. So, Um, certainly, um, there are a few key aspects that have to be attended to as a, as kind of like the first spot of intervention, sleep, nutrition, exercise, those three, and, and even exercise like movement, like getting your body moving. Um, so, so attending to, Attending to our sleep is probably one of the most important aspects, um, that we can, that we can attend to, um, physical exercise. Um, we can expand that even down to things like deep breathing, um, progressive muscle relaxation. So that's the sense in which you tighten up specific muscle groups in the body and then relax them. And you do that kind of as a progressive process through, the body while you're deep breathing. And what that does is it, it brings the body down. It brings down anxiety. It, it brings down heart rate. It, it helps with it increases oxygen levels. And so deep breathing along with progressive muscle work can be a really powerful way, especially of addressing anxiety. Anxiety responds positively to those kinds of um, interventions the another um and those are things that everybody ought to do almost like no matter what it's like those are healthy behaviors that we we want to engage in over time um other physical um processes are medications uh so if someone is in clinical space antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication can be a can be an absolute game changer for people um uh for people with um, ADHD, Adderall or uh, um, or some similar medication for ADHD, absolute can be an absolute game changer for people. And many people underestimate the element of of the impact of medication. And so, medications can be helpful. And I'm not I'm not somebody who just throws, says let's just throw pills at people and and try it. But sure. there are there are um, one of my, one of my friends and colleagues talks about medication as a gift of common grace. And, and I think he's right. It's like medications are a form of common grace. They're not for everybody and for everything. It's like, um, some people respond great to them. Some people don't, and you have to work with your doctor in determining that. But, but certainly that's a intervention in clinical space of, of using medication. Um, other physical aspects would be, um, would be doing something fun, like going and watching, going and watching a movie that you enjoy going for a hike, um, playing games with friends. It's like you're engaging in a physical, tangible activity that, that brings about, uh, brings about meaning. So, um, so kind of any, almost anything we do includes the body at some level, um, Right, but um, but attending to to our physical health is certainly a good way to think about that category. Um, psychologically, in the psychological um, category, I think one of them is naming our emotion, being able to learn the vocabulary of emotion. Um, differentiating a thought from an emotion is important. You will hear people sometimes say, "I feel like you don't like me." And it's like, "Oh, no. You don't feel that. That's not a feeling. Uh, that's a thought. It would be like saying, I don't think you like me. And I feel really inferior because of that. It's like the the thought is that you don't like me. The feeling is whatever that elicits. Yes. And many people confuse the language. And I have clinically already been like, worked with people saying, I want you to catch every single time you say something like I feel and then fill in that blank. If it's not an emotional word, it's a misuse of language. Yes. Because we're not feeling, well, I don't, I don't feel like our political system is in chaos. I think that it's not a feeling that I have. Um, I don't, I don't feel like my car is going to break down soon. (laughs) <laughs> I I think that it has these issues. Yes. And so I feel anxious because will this car get me where I want it to go or will it cost me a lot of money? I feel anxious about that.
0: And the importance of that differentiating and accurately using language is because it enables us to more effectively engage with other people like it. Would you say that's that's Absol-
1: absolutely? I would say it also helps us to more effectively engage with ourselves, right? It's like we're we are we are in essence are telling ourselves the truth,
0: it, it's yes, and I think that's what I, I'm trying, I'm processing but not articulating well is like you are identifying what is actually true, um, you are finding, yeah, the truth,
1: right? And and so many people get stuck when they will say things like, um. I feel like you don't like me. Well, that's not a feeling. And and if you try to stick in the feeling space, you will be constantly disappointed because you'll never you can never bring correction to that. If I say I don't think that you like me and I feel sad about that, now in relationship, I could deal with my behaviors that elicit that feeling. But if all I'm trying to do is make you not feel what you're feeling, I will be like, it's like a crapshoot. I'm, I don't know. I don't yeah. there And, and the fact that you still feel it, there's no reason. There's no resolution in that. But if I say, when you, uh, when you are dismissive of me, I feel, um, I feel sad. And I don't think it doesn't communicate to me that you like me very much when, when you do that. Well, now I can correct my behavior relationally because I can say, oh, that's helpful for me to know. It's helpful for me to know my behavior is impacting you. I'm not making you feel anything. I'm, I'm, you're feeling what you feel, but I want to adjust my behavior so that you have a different experience in life. Yeah. And so those are all psychological kinds of processes where we're where we are changing the narratives internally, where we're naming things properly, where we're differentiating between a thought and a feeling, and we're using language precisely in a way that helps us. And those are psychological um, processes of of how we how we deal with our thinking, how we deal with our emotions, um, how we identify our needs to be able to say, this is my core this is one of my core needs in life. I, I, I need affirmation from people that's important to me. And so if I know that if you come and say, Hey Tim, I'm, I really am feeling discouraged and I could use an affirming word and it's like, okay, great. Now I can, I can express to you some form of, um, of affection or affirmation that says, Hey, you, you are meaningful to me and let me remind you of that because I'm happy to, because you matter to me. Um, but if I just, if I let it be in that thought confusion space, I don't, how do I know? I I won't know that unless you tell me. So that's the, that's the psychological space. Then the relational is, can I bring that into relationship? So can I, can I now, have conversations with people that are meaningful? Can I, can I share in a reciprocal fashion and healthy relationships are always reciprocal. There's, there's, doesn't mean they're equal necessarily. It's like as a parent, we know that we don't have fully equal dialogue with our children. We don't expect our (laughs) toddler to give and reciprocate to the same degree that we would anticipate our spouse doing. sure. Uh, And so we're always paying attention to the developmental processes with children, but relationally with friends. It's like, if, if I am the only person that's initiating contact, always it's like if we're going to get together or connect, it's going to be me initiating it. Well, that relationally is going to create pain. And so I'm either going to need to, uh, I need to address that socially or relationally. And, um, and that's where conversation becomes important. I think other ways of socially engaging is just having conversations about what we feel. And I think for men, for many of us men, we need more spaces where we can engage in conversation without trying to problem solve the emotion where we can talk about what we feel and I don't need you to solve it for me. I don't need you to tell me I shouldn't feel it. I don't need you to um, tell me how I can do something differently. So I stop feeling it. It's like like something men land up doing. Men need to learn that we can listen to and connect with the emotion of another person without fixing anything. And many spouses would be really grateful if we learned that. (laughs) Like, like many, many women experience their husbands as simply trying to fix their emotional experiences. And it's like that is not necessary or helpful. It's like we want to we want to learn to connect emotionally, not fix emotions.
0: Have you ever seen the YouTube video? Where I think it's called. It's not about the nail. I was just thinking. It's, that, it, yes. It, oh my goodness. That it's so, ma- funny.
1: so funny and so, so, ma- funny. so masterful. And when
0: he Finally, just gives up. <laughs> he's just like it. Just sounds so hard. If you haven't seen the YouTube video, you got you gotta go watch it. It's only a couple minutes. It's it, great. it
1: is fantastic. When that first came out, I remember. Um, I remember using that in my clinical space often yeah. of, of sharing it with people because they. It's so funny and it's so it's so dead on with the way many people experience um, connecting emotionally. And so for us men, we, we have a responsibility relationally to do work that might not be what we prefer. Like, hmm. Like if we want to have emotionally healthy relationships and be connected, we're gonna have to learn to do something differently with how we connect with our significant other and we need to learn how to do that differently oftentimes with one another as well. It's like, it's, there's an element of, of the emotional rules that many of us have had for men simply are not effective and they're not, they do not have, they do not bode well um, for healthy relationship. And, and so we have, we have to learn how to, to manage that. So, so relationally we find interventions, we get together, we talk, we go, we play games together. We have fun together. We express what we feel. We joke together. We laugh, we play games. We, we engage, um, we engage socially and relationally. Um, and then spiritually we, we really need, we really need to dig deep in how we understand, the governing philosophy of our life. Like how do we make sense of meaning and purpose? What is the, what is the authority structure in our life that gives us a sense of, of direction and guidance? And we all need an authority. We need someone to, we need someone to tell us who we are and where we're headed. And we need a governing kind of process. It's like, we don't, we, and this, this will actually be a, a, topic for a future podcast but but we don't have the ability to just create our own identity out of nothingness we we have we have to build identity gets built out of something bigger than us giving us direction and guidance and so spiritually we and in the emotional level is we bring um We bring what we feel to God. We bring what we're experiencing emotionally up against our philosophical, theological, spiritual sensibilities. What do I, how do I make meaning and purpose out of this? Well, I need to recognize that my emotional world is going to fit into that sense of how I make sense of the world. And that's... Now, that often means we engage socially and we talk about that with other people. We engage authors and we listen to other people. Um, we read the scriptures. We, we do all sorts of things whereby we bring to bear our philosophical, theological understandings of those deep questions to bear on our yes. life experience rather than the other way around. Rather than our life experiences, life isn't going exactly the way I want. Well, therefore, that means my my presuppositions are faulty. Well, they might be, we might need to evaluate that um, from time to time. But, but as a, as a general rule, we, we bring what we feel into a wrestling match with those deeper philosophies. We see that in the book of Psalms all the time. It's like, David is constantly wrestling with God. We see it with Jacob, but at the ladder. It's like Jacob's wrestling with God. It's it's we're bringing these fundamental deep feeling and deep experiences into spiritual relationship, into this place where there's a wrestling match. And that's an important dimension of, of healthy emotion.
0: Great. That's very, very good. Very helpful.
1: All right. Well, I think that's probably enough for today. We, that was a deep, that was a deep dig. Um,
0: Think so too. Um, awesome, uh, great. Thanks All right.
1: Too. Have a great, have a great day. You too.
0: We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Guideposts with Dr. Tim Stoffer. If you're finding this podcast beneficial, please share it with a friend or leave us a review. Also, make sure to check out the show notes where you can find links to resources as well as an email address. We want to hear from you. Send us your questions, feedback, and topic ideas for future episodes. Thanks for listening.